listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. Um, just to be uh, with you guys and, and get to share in this and get to speak to you guys. I'm so excited actually about talking and preaching this topic. Uh, it's, it's like the best thing in the world. It's something I probably haven't done enough with you guys. And so the subject of this weekend is the atonement. Um, if you weren't here last night, we talked about sin and we talked about the gravity of sin. Okay. And we got really deep into it and it was, it was tough. It was a tough subject. So if you missed last night, because you were on the bus, man, uh, you missed out on uh, some heavy news um, that your sin is stuck on you. You can't get it off of you. It's, it's on you. You can't get rid of it. It's permanent, you know, and, and that's a problem. And the reason why that's a problem is what we're going to talk about in this, this morning is that your sin, how can sinful people have a relationship with a holy God? How can that happen? How can that uh, occur? Now, that I've said that, we're going to be talking about the holy, wrathful love of God this morning, and we're going to be all over the place, so you're going to need your Bibles to so get those Bibles out. And while you're getting your Bibles out, which they're also in the pews, so you can grab them from the pews, I'm going to tell you a story that may or may not have, may have any connection to what I'm about to share this morning. So uh, I went on a fall retreat when I was in high school. I think I was maybe a freshman. Probably No, I think I was a sophomore. Um, I was a sophomore. I had long hair like Justin Bieber, kind of, uh, and I had highlights, so I looked like a surfer dude. I wore like a seashell necklace. Uh, that was kind of my vibe. I mean, it was, it was, it, it was, it was, it worked, okay? It worked. I got, I got a lot of, uh, yeah, I got Emily, yeah, I worked on Emily, uh, for sure, and I remember going on this retreat, and I was, um, you know, there, it was uh, with this group called Campus Crusade for Christ. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's a campus ministry. They do a high school ministry. And so we go, uh, we would go to uh, the beach uh, for a weekend. And so we went to the beach for the weekend. And in this ministry, like kids would come to know Christ. It was a bunch of people from all over the country. And then they would do these baptisms in the ocean uh, early in the morning. And so like everyone was like, oh, like we have some friends. They're getting baptized in the ocean. So we woke up really early in the morning before the sun had even come up. We go down to the beach uh, to go see our friends get baptized um, in the ocean. And so I remember waking up in the morning and, you know, I have like a routine of like bowel movements. Okay. So one is, is first thing when I wake up, you know, this is, this is what was when I was in high school. And right now it's, it's after my cup of coffee, uh, that it, it follows. I was talking to one of you guys this morning about the coffee, uh, movement that happens after coffee. Uh, but yeah. in high school, 
you know, yeah, Jackson, yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I was like, you know, this is like when I first wake up, I kind of had the urge, but I was like, you know, I don't want to miss out. I'll see my friends get baptized. So I got on the bus to go down to the beach to see them get baptized. We get on the bus, we drive down in this like 15 passenger minibus, get to the ocean. The sun is, it's beautiful. It's coming out up over the horizon and people are in the water and people are getting baptized. And it's amazing. I remember looking at my leader though, realizing like, you know what? This is like, I really need to go to the bathroom. I need to use the restroom. There's some hotels on this, you know, beach. And I'm going to just go and see if I can get inside and, and use their lobby restrooms. And so I tell my leader, like, hey, I'm going to go use the bathroom. I'll be back in a second. Don't leave, you know, without me. I go to each hotel and none of the doors are open. They're all locked. And all the lobby people are just looking at me like, where's your car key, you know, or the card key reader. I'm like, I don't have one. But, you know, I'm like kind of like urgently being like, hey, like, you should let me in or else I'm just going to poop on the street, you know. And, uh, you know, they, they, they wouldn't, you know, let me in. And so then I went to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. I probably went to three or four came up to the sliding doors and kind of waved and tried to get inside, you know, the building to use the restroom. And I finally came to the conclusion that they're not going to let me in. This is, so I, I have to figure something out here. I'm in like kind of panic, adrenaline, you know, mode. It was, it was, it's a terrible uh, feeling uh, if you've ever been there. Maybe none of you have been there, but if you have, I know how you feel. I was so scared. I had no, I mean, I was like, this is a city, you know what I mean? We're on the beach, like, the options are like, it's just kind of pure public. And I'm grateful it's early in the morning. Not many people are out and around. And so what I do is I decide to just walk around the side of the hotel. I find, you know, like they have like, you know, landscaping, these little bushes, like all these hotels, like little pup bushes, you know. And so all I do is I just squat down right over one, not over it, but like behind it, like where it kind of covers me. And sure enough, you know, I'm in between other hotels. There's windows open, balconies and out right there on the side of the hotel right by the pool yeah it happened um it happened and here's this isn't even the bad part you think that is bad okay this is bad this is it gets worse you think that's bad obviously like you know you don't have any you know toilet paper or you know the leaves on the bush it's not an option so you kind of just have to be like all right that's that i just need to Lift, yeah, lift your, yeah. Well, you know, I wasn't, pro, I wasn't a pro at this point in uh, figuring out how to use, uh, you know, use, use around you. So I just lifted my shorts up and it's just me and, and the squish. You know what I mean? Me and the squish. I walk over back to the beach where all my friends have just been brought from death to life in baptism, from sin into, you know, God's, you know, into relationship with God. And I'm over here with them like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like covered, you know, below the surface in poop. You know what I mean? Like they can't see that. Like, no, no, no. It's like, I, I went to the bathroom and then I just had to pull, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all there still. You just have to. Oh my gosh. So like I went to the bathroom, pulled the pants up. I see my friends. Now here's the worst part. It still hasn't even gotten to the worst part. You guys are not even at the worst part. I get on the minibus. Okay. I get on the minibus. No, I stand. I wisely chose to stand in the center aisle. I start feeling this like trickling feeling happening. And what has happened is my sweat and my poop have become one. And it's now rolling down my legs into my white Nike tube socks down into my basketball shoes. I could feel it happening. No one notices, I don't think. I'm in the back of the bus. I'm there. 
But all of a sudden, I start hearing people say, man, what's that smell? And people are like, all my buddies are like, dude, what's that smell? It smells like someone stepped in dog poop. And I'm sitting there like, well, I'm covered in poop. Like, that's, that's what's happened. And uh, I remember um, waiting for everyone to get off the bus because I didn't want to walk by anybody. I got off. I, I had the waddle, the, the, you know, and I had this. And I went to, threw away my clothes, threw away my socks, didn't throw away the shoes. Did not throw away the shoes, but got rid of all of it. So, like, that's the story. That's as good. As, I mean, that is that. I mean, like, if you. Yeah, that's me. So you're welcome. Um, you're welcome. Uh, that, that's that's what's happened to me in my life. Um, that's that's probably one of the lowest points of my life. But listen, how. And this is where I'm going to try to tie it in. This is where you get paid the big bucks. How does someone who has a story like that can have a relationship with a holy God, okay? All right, how can, how can that be possible? And so last night I started off with these questions that um, Alistair Begg, a, a preacher, he asked is, how can God pardon sinners without encouraging people to keep on sinning? How can God simultaneously show justice and punishment and mercy in pardoning? How can he admit men and women to heaven without spoiling heaven's holiness? And how can he turn his enemies into his friends and bind them to him in eternal love? How can that all happen if God is holy and we are sinners? If we have the gravity of sin upon us, how can we encounter a holy God? And so it brings me to what I think summarizes these questions. Why did Jesus die? And in order to understand the meaning of the death of Jesus on the cross, You've got to understand God's holy, wrathful love. And something that we do in this generation is we quickly jump to God is love. But you're missing the point of that love. We actually cheapen the love when we do not understand the holiness of God and the wrath of God. Okay? You're going to need your Bibles to so have those out, have those ready. If you go with me to each passage in the Bible, this talk will go by a lot quicker for you. So that's your incentive to dive into the Bible, to take notes. This will go by faster for you. If it, if it don't, if you don't, it's, you're going to get lost in it. So if you don't have a Bible, try to find a Bible, grab one behind the pew, seriously, get into um, God's word. So God's holiness. The reason why Adam and Eve had to be sent out of the garden in Genesis 3 was because God is holy, and in their sin, they are not. In their sin, they are like me, covered in poop, with white Nike tube socks, covered in poop, okay? One of the best way um, that I can kind of describe this has been I usually use this lightning, and have I done this with you guys? Lightning and body illustration. Like if lightning strikes a body, you disintegrate because lightning and, and the body and the flesh don't mix. Holiness and sin don't mix. But I think actually a better illustration would be is if like you were on a spaceship and you were on a one-way path to the sun, okay, which is like millions of miles away, and you're on the way to the sun, there comes a threshold point where you cross a certain distance where you are too close to the sun and everything explodes and disintegrates. That is what it's like approaching God in your sin. If you get too close to God in his holiness, in your sin, you will just be obliterated. You'd, so this is, this is what you guys, I want you guys to understand is that to approach God in sin, to approach him, to come in contact with God in sin is going to result in death. In 2 Samuel um, chapter 6, if you want to turn there, you can actually turn here. You can see the story about this guy named Uzzah, all right? And so the Ark of the Lord is being brought um, into, I think Jerusalem is on the way. Uh, David is bringing it into Jerusalem and it's being transported. It might not be Jerusalem, but 
It's being brought in. And it's, and it's, if you want to understand the Ark of the Lord, it's where God's presence is. It's 2 Samuel 6, the story. The story is crazy. It's in 2 Samuel 6. And so the ox that is carrying this ark begins to stumble. And so it begins to slide off and it's going to touch the earth, okay? And this guy, Uzzah, who is like, I don't want the presence of God to touch the earth. He reaches out his hands and, and in an effort to catch it, he touches the ark. But he's immediately killed by the contact. I think what the, one of the storyline of the stories is that God's presence, is, it's better for it to touch the dirt of the ground, to land in the dung of an oxen, than to touch the hand of a human being. That is more clean and pure than human flesh. King David, in response to that, he fearfully says this, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Do you guys see that? I think, I think it's in the, at the beginning of the chapter. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Essentially, David said, saying, how can I be before the presence of God as a human being? How can anyone be in the presence of God, a holy God? Turn to Leviticus 10. Right at the beginning, the first few verses in Leviticus 10, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 10. The sons of Aaron, I, I'm not going to, I can't, Abihu and Adab or something, Nadab and Abihu. Um, they are struck dead in the presence of God for doing unauthorized fire, fire that they did without the permission. And they brought that before God and God turned that fire and he brought it upon them and they were consumed just for doing something wrong before the Lord. Every encounter with the holy God is death-threatening. It's only by sheer mercy that anyone can survive. We're going to be in Exodus 19, if you guys want to turn there. The Exodus story, God has delivered Israel out of slavery, 430 years of slavery with the Egyptians. And he did this by his own power. There's nothing that the Israelites did to get themselves out of slavery. They didn't escape. It wasn't like this big thing that they did and were able to accomplish. But it was literally God sending 10 plagues upon Egypt. And the 10th plague was this. Do you guys know the story about the 10th plague? It's the angel of death. God sends it upon the land of Egypt and it goes door to door, house to house. And God says that as I go along door to door, I am looking for the firstborn child of every household and I will kill them. Who's the firstborn child? I mean, I'm a first, I mean, I'm, I'm gone in that situation. I'm looking for the firstborn and I'll kill them. But Israel, if you take a lamb and you kill a lamb and you, you take its blood and you take a hyssop branch and you spread it across the doorposts, I will see the blood of the lamb and I will pass over you. And so Israel, all of them, they killed these lambs and took the hyssop branches and spread it over their doorposts. And the angel of the Lord came that night of death and passed over Israel, but did not pass over the Egyptians. His wrath was poured out on the Egyptians, but it passed over the Israelites. The Israelites celebrate this to this day. It's called Passover. And they celebrate it with unleavened bread, wine, and they eat lamb. Because the angel of death passed over them. So this has just occurred. They had left Egypt. They are at the mountain of Sinai. They have just fled. God's plagues have hit. The angel of death has passed over them. Pharaoh's like, get out of here. They part, go through the Red Sea. The Red Sea swallows up Pharaoh's army. Now they're at Mount Sinai before this God who's so holy. And this is what these verses 
uh, say in verses nine through 12. And this is what God's trying to do. He's trying to be with his people. He's trying to dwell with them, okay? He's trying to come into their midst. Verses nine through 12, Exodus 19, nine through 12. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in the thick cloud and the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. He's like, go clean them up, all right? They're a mess. And be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of the mountain that God is going to be on. Because whoever touches that edge of the mountain shall be put to death. So in order for a holy God to dwell with sinners, follow along with me. This is, this is going, I'm going to put these pieces together for you. In order for a holy God to dwell with sinners, there are rules that are in place. There has to be order and structure in approaching the Lord. Not for the Lord's sake, but for your sake, for the protection of the sinner. So what you have first is a thick cloud. This is to, to you know, uh, cloud up the image of God so that people can't see. Okay, it's like this, this, this mist, um, this, this, this kind of way of like dimming the light so that you can't fully see the presence of God. Because if you were to see it, this, this, would, this would literally kill you. This is one of the reasons why in the temple, in the tabernacle, they would, they would bring smoke, all right, and burn incense. It was to create this, this, um, this veil that would protect you um, from seeing the Lord. And then the other thing is you can't get too close, like you can't get too close to the sun. You can't even touch the mountain that God is going to be on at the top. There's still this separation because it will be holy. And if you as a sinner touch it, you'll, you're going to die. So there's still a distance between God and Israel. Okay, they're going to be at the base of the mountain and he was going to be on top of it. And so God, he comes down upon Mount Sinai and he does this crazy thing. Imagine if you're Moses, he says, hey, Moses, come up to the top. Just you though. And you're like, yeah, am I coming? Are you going to? I'm literally going to walk up to the top of this mountain and are you going to kill me? That's probably what's going through his, through his mind. So he approaches the top of the mountain to God. He goes into the thick cloud while all the people wait at the base of the mountain. And he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. And during those 40 days and 40 nights, he gives the law to Moses. And it's the standard of God's holiness. All right. He gives them these lists of laws. And, and most of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus are just listing these rules out. And then in Exodus 32, all right, God, you can turn there actually, because we're, we're going to be there. Exodus 32, God has finished giving Moses the law. And it's the law that they have to follow in order for God to be in their presence and for them to be in his presence, for him to dwell in their camp, for him to come down from the mountain, okay, and be with them. It's a law designed so that we can have a relationship with God. But during that 40 days and 40 nights, the Israelites grew disgruntled and they asked Aaron, Moses' brother, to build an idol out of gold, out of the created things so that they could worship. Remember we talked about yesterday, our desire to worship the created instead of the creator. And so he puts together this gold and it looks like the shape of a cow. And so they decide that's their God and they're going to worship it. Look at Exodus 32 verses 7 through 10. God says to Moses, go down to your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt because they've corrupted themselves. Verse eight, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. 
They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are a stiff necked people. Now, now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you, Moses. God's people had just been relieved out of slavery by the sole hand of God. And here they are worshiping an idol that they made with gold that they watched be created with their own hands and said, this golden calf is what has saved me and rescued me. Every time that you turn to an idol, you turn to something that is man-made. You're saying, this is what gives me security. This is what has given me happiness. That's what Israel's doing. And they give the credit to the created as accomplishing their salvation. And this breaks God's heart. It breaks Moses' heart. heart. And God's heart breaks for Israel because what they deserve is his wrath. Now go to verses 30 through 35. Turn, turn to 30 through 35. All right, really follow this. So the next day Moses said to the people, Okay, you have sinned a great sin, and now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to God and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, this is so powerful, what Moses says. He says, please blot me out of your book that you have written. He wasn't down there sinning. He said, blot me out. But the Lord said to Moses, Who has, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. The Lord then sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Now flip to Revelation 20. What is this book? Go to the back of the Bible. Revelation 20, verse 12. This is John speaking about the judgment day. And he talks about this book of life that's referred to in Exodus 32. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in those books according to what they had done. And then go down to verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is God's wrath and God's judgment for sin. This is the gravity of your sin. This is what happens when we encounter a holy God and we have a relationship with him and we sin against him. There is wrath. 